we look at the resurrection today, I want to encourage you to do what Jesus encouraged his followers to do, which was if they want to understand what the kingdom is like, hear what Jesus said, if you want to get what the kingdom of God, how it works, you've got to come like a little child. And so as we study the resurrection this morning, would you come like a little child? Would you come in innocence and openness and open-heartedness? We're going to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 24. Get your Bibles out, and we're going to uh, continue our series in the book of Luke. Now, we're jumping ahead 10 chapters from where we have been, and we're going to go to the last chapter because we're going we're to go through some, um, some of the stories of the resurrection today. So I want you to, to, to go there, Luke 24, get a pen and a paper out. It's so good for you to take notes because you remember, you retain more. Uh, and so, so to do that, and then um, once you get to Luke 24, say, I'm there. <laughs> All three of you. Awesome. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. Keep your finger there in Luke 24, because we're going to go there in just a minute. And then turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Let's pray before we read the scripture. Father, help us to receive this like a child. Help us to awaken to resurrection life, what it, what it is, how it works. Give us your revelation, who you are and who you've made us to be. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the Apostle Paul's story that he wrote about Jesus and what happened. Because not everyone can be as innocent and childlike as some of uh, you, we need to be able to articulate w- some ideas about uh, how the resurrection took place. That it is not only um, reasonable, it's reasonable, it's rational to believe that such a thing could have happened. Look at, look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. He says, For I, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance... In other words, this is priority, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter. Now, I want you to start start keeping count here of all the people He appeared to. He he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, So he was in this big group of 500 people, most of whom were still living, though some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. This isn't the apostle Paul being humble. He actually, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, knocked him off his horse and said, it's me you're persecuting and I want you to stop it. And he blinded him for three days while he visited with him. And then Paul really discovered who Jesus was. That's what he's talking about. And so it's, it's, I just want to highlight a few things to you that will make, I, ho- I hope make sense to you. Every historian agrees that Paul's letter was written just 15 to 20 years after the death of Jesus. This is really a close time frame. 
15 to 20 years, it was, it, this was being written to the church at Corinth. And so it's not a legend that developed over hundreds of years. And, and the people who were distant from the event then started talking about how Jesus was risen from the dead to prove his divinity. No, there was something that went on really a short time after the resurrection. And Paul is telling the story. There was at least 500 people, Paul said, who were still alive when he wrote this. 500 people who could be consulted for corroboration. They, they could be looked up, as it were, and, and found and, and asked about the experience. Paul's letter was written to the church to be read aloud. This was a, a, a letter that was written to the church at Corinth, and it was read publicly, and then it was passed around. So it was a commitment, really, to the, the facts. Paul was inviting anyone who doubted to go and talk to the actual eyewitnesses, if they wished. The Roman world, the Pax Romana was the peace of Rome. They, were, they controlled everything. They had built roads and made it super easy to make that happen. Now listen, Paul's letters show that Christians proclaimed Jesus' bodily resurrection from the very beginning. It didn't develop over time. There was something here that happened. And think about it. Think, think about this. The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. So, and, and, and this had to be true because nobody in Jerusalem would have believed the preaching of the disciples for even one minute if the body was still there. But the body was not there. Right? Paul couldn't be telling people all these stories. He couldn't be writing this document if there were scores of eyewitnesses who were saying, that's not true, that didn't happen. And so here's, here's the thing, the empty tomb plus the eyewitnesses. Think about it. If it was just an empty tomb but no eyewitnesses, maybe the, maybe the disciples came and took the body. If, are you guys following me? Okay, is this interesting to you? Okay. You kind of, I glazed over. I went into history mode and you guys kind of went, what? Come on, stay awake with me. If, if, it was, if it was just an empty tomb but no eyewitnesses, maybe not. If it was just eyewitnesses, people who were in love with Jesus, right, and they, they, they had visions of him, but there was no empty tomb, then not as powerful. But it was both. It was empty tomb and it was eyewitnesses. Now, when people are skeptical of this, when we, th we think to ourselves, oh, those people, they really didn't know. They didn't have our skepticism of our day. It probably really didn't happen. Some people just thought it was a, you know, they loved Jesus and, and, and they, they went along with it because Jesus was a pretty good guy. C.S. Lewis, great author, great theologian, he has a, a term for this. It's called chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery. And, and, and what that means is that we somehow believe modern people take these claims of bodily res resurrection with a bit of skepticism, while the ancients, with more supernatural belief, would have immediately accepted it very simply. This is simply not the case. To all dominant worldviews of the time, an individual, keyword, individual bodily resurrection was almost inconceivable. That's why the disciples had such a hard time with it at first. And we're going to read about that in Luke 24. Turn over there to Luke 24. Now here, here's why we should study this. Here's why we should look at this story. Because we have the same trouble as the disciples changing our worldview to accept what is possible through Christ. 
In fact, Tim Keller, who's a brilliant author himself, he, he wrote these words about the resurrection. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? It doesn't matter. He was just a nice teacher, just a nice guy. He said, the the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he actually rose from the dead. Listen, we are defined as resurrection people. I do not think we should be defined simply as forgiven people, even though we are forgiven. The difference between us and as believers, as Christians, and the rest of the world is not that we're just as bad and lousy, and, and even though we are just as bad and lousy as, as the, the worst sinner, but, and we've been forgiven. But that's not the end. Like, forgiveness is not the only difference. There is another difference. And you know what it is? It is the power of the resurrected Christ. And the difference that that makes when that power comes into you and me. When life explodes into our lives, that's what was happening on this day when Jesus was resurrected. It exploded into their lives and began to define their worldview and their new reality. So look over at Luke 24, and we'll begin there, and we'll just kind of read through the stories. Now, there's three stories here. Right? Put your fingers up. Three stories. Everybody, three, fi- three fingers. Three stories. The first one is about the women. Everybody say the women. We'll talk about the women who discovered Jesus. Yeah, all you women. Used by God in a powerful way. Number two is the road. There's a story about the road. There was, people were on the road and going uh, on a little trip to Emmaus, and Jesus showed up. And then there's a third story, and it's Jesus revealing himself in the inner room with the disciples. So let's look at these three stories. Here we go. Are you ready? On the day, uh, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Right? Got to take your holy glasses off. Take your holy glasses off and all the times you've heard this and see it for what it really is. Some women come into the tomb, make sure the body doesn't stink. They're, they're bringing spices. They come into the tomb and suddenly the tomb is empty. It's open and they're standing there and suddenly two guys with really white clothes showed up. It was like John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. They glowed. Right? They were standing there, and (laughs) they were pretty happy because they knew what the women didn't. So there they are. These men showed up, and they're gleaming And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? What a great question. Take your pen and underline that question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Now, (laughs) key phrase, verse 8. Key phrase, verse 8. Look at it. Then they remembered. 
If you look at the scriptures, if you look at the gospel scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that Jesus told them over and over again, hey, now here's what's going to happen. Here's what's coming. I want you to be aware of this. This is coming. It's going to happen to me, and, and you need to be ready for it. But they couldn't get it. They couldn't get it. Here, the tomb is empty. These women have already heard the story. They still don't get it because it's totally reorienting to think that someone could be raised from the dead. They can't quite get it. And so finally, they remembered what he said. Can I just encourage you today that what Jesus wants you to do is remember what he said? Really, all he wants you to do is remember what he said. He has spoken to you, if indeed he has spoken to you. If you don't know what Jesus said, here's what I can tell you. It's written in this book of life. And when you listen to it, and you listen to his words, and you begin to let him open your eyes, you find a way of life that is beyond anything you can manage on your own. There's something powerful in his words. And so, The only way any of us can really make it when the world is falling apart around us is if we'll remember the words of Jesus. Some of us as believers forget, don't we? We go through very difficult seasons of our life. Maybe maybe you go through a season where your marriage is ready to break apart. You're frustrated with what's going on and yet you forget what Jesus said about a man who should lay his life down for his wife like Jesus laid his life down for the church. Sometimes we're worried about the job and you've been out of work and you just, you just don't know what you're going to do. It's coming to the end of the month and you're, just every, you're running out of everything and you just don't know what you're going to do and you get absorbed and you start freaking out and you start just wrestling. You start figuring out different things that you can do. You're, you're like so consumed with yourself and you forget the words of Jesus that said, look, look, look at the flowers. Why, why are you so worried? The flowers don't toil or spin. Look at the birds of the air. My father takes care of them, and he knows your needs. We forget the words of Jesus. So we get consumed in ourselves. In some way, I, I think we could see these women and the disciples. They had become consumed in the sorrow the sadness, the disappointment. There was an awakening here. Sometimes it feels like nonsense to us to to think like this, for our world to be turned upside down, but it is a leap of faith. Remember what Jesus said. The second thing I want you to see about what happened here in this story is resurrection life has the power to break every barrier that you face, every barrier of our culture even. I want you to think about Jesus was always breaking down the barriers of the culture that he lived in. He was always going beyond what was appropriate. He would speak to, uh, he spoke to the woman at the well, and, and and he violated some protocol there. He would touch lepers who were sick. You weren't supposed to touch them. You shouldn't go near them. He would touch them and care for them and heal them. He, he, he told the story about the Good Samaritan where, where some, a Samaritan was caring for a Jewish man. That was crazy talk to those people who were listening. Jesus was always pushing the barriers down. And here we see a miracle where 
where God actually sets it up for the women, the women of this culture, to be the first eyewitnesses. They are the first eyewitnesses of the story. We're women. Now listen, now look. Here, it's, you, you don't really quite understand this. Let's read verse 9, and I'll show you this. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Verse 11. But they did not believe the women <laughs> because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Men, has your wife ever talk to you and it just seemed to you like nonsense? <laughs> Ooh, don't say yes or no. <laughs> yeah, there's something here uh, that the apostles, you know, the, the, the women come and they tell them and, and they can't conceive of what they're talking about. Like, it, it just sounds like nonsense to them. But you could imagine the women and how they said it. You should have seen Jesus. There was an angel in Yet he's, he's alive. Look at what happened to Peter. Peter, verse 12, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Hello, McFly. He's been told over and over again. Now the women tell him the story. He runs to see for himself, and the tomb is empty. He's like, well, mm, I can't figure this out at all. Peter was one thick-skulled individual. Not a lot different than us. Listen, here's why it's so significant that the women were the first to tell the story. Number one, women weren't respected in this day and age. They were practically property. Their testimony was not admissible in any kind of court. They were not the people in the culture that others would believe. I want you to think about the pressure that might have been on the disciples or on even the writer of Luke to change the story. The writer of this book, the pressure that might have been on him to take the women out of the story as the first ones. And yet, here it is, in each of the gospel accounts, it is the women, the women that actually witness Jesus being resurrected. Could it be that it was because that's what happened? Could it be because this is really what Jesus does? He reveals himself to the marginalized of society. He breaks through barriers that society puts up for him. That he breaks through even the barriers of our own ways of thinking and our own lives, our own history, as he did Peter and the rest of the disciples. He breaks through the barriers. Listen, resurrection life carries with it. Think about this. Carries with it the, the, the DNA, the life DNA of infinite possibilities. That's what's so awesome about resurrection life. If he is resurrected, then almost anything's possible. Look at Colossians 
chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. I'll just put it up on the screen. In the Message Bible, the modern-day translation, it says, When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. But God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. The slate wiped clean. That old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. I love that. A death warrant. A warrant for your arrest given to every one of us. And Jesus took it. We deserve death. Our own failures, our own foolishness. He nailed it to the cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Some of you are like, what is that all about? Marching people naked through the streets. Listen, in Paul's day, the way that conquering rulers would demonstrate to all society that they had indeed conquered their enemies is they would take them, they'd strip them naked, they would walk them down the main street of their town and, and shame them and embarrass them to prove that he was indeed the conquering king. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus did to all of the spiritual darkness of our universe when he conquered death, hell, the grave. It's incredible. So here he is. They're trying to grapple with this idea. Resurrection life means nothing can hold you back. It means you are free to experience life to the fullest degree. Even Peter was bewildered, but something was beginning to work in him. Something was changing his way of thinking. And then, so that's the story of the women. Now we get to the story of the road. Are you with me? The story of the road. Come with me. Verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, well, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you living under a rock? Are you only a visitor of Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? I love Jesus' answer. What, what things? Listen, now listen. The, there's a reason the story is told the way it's told. There's a reason Luke includes these stories, and I want you to get this picture of God. God is not an impersonal, disconnected deity. Jesus is the flesh and blood love of God to you and to me. But I want you to see how Jesus comes along, and he has personality. He is hilarious. Jesus comes along, and they're walking along, and he's, he comes, he says, Hey, so uh, what are you guys talking about? Like he didn't know. And then they, they start telling him, you know, all this stuff that's happening. He's like, what, 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 what things? What are, you, what are you talking about? <laughs> he was inviting the dialogue. Hey, people, he could have just revealed himself right there on the road. Hey, it's me, Jesus. I'd like to open up the scriptures to you. Will you let me? This is the interesting thing. Resurrection life is more subtle than that. Resurrection, what God does in us is there is an, a, an awakening that happens deep inside of us. I mean, you can, you can try to convince people with some of the facts of how reasonable it might be to believe what the scriptures say, but they still won't believe you. You can't be beat over the head with resurrection life. 
It can only come deep on the inside, awakened by God, awakened by Jesus. That's why we pray for each other. That's why we pray for people. So Jesus wants to break into our daily routine like he broke into these two disciples' routine. The resurrection of of life wants to break into our everyday affairs, our unexpected moments. We should be looking for them. We should be ready for them, but so often we're not. Here's what happened. So there they are. He says, what things? Verse 19 They say about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted. Everybody say acted. (laughs) Jesus acted as if he was going further. Why did he do that? He's like talking, they're talking. They've been walking seven miles, seven miles, all right? They've been walking, they've been talking, they've been going along the story, and and he's like, all right, see you later. (laughs) Why would he do that? There's a reason the story is told the way it's told. I think this is how Jesus does it with us all the time. I think he's showing up in places, and we don't even realize it. He's wanting us to recognize him. Could it be, could it be that Jesus is working behind the scenes in your life, that resurrection life is coming to you? You feel dead and discouraged. You feel overwhelmed by worry and doubt, and yet God is working for you behind the scenes, and you just don't know it yet? Think about it. These guys, resurrection power had already come. It was already alive. It was right in their midst. And they had no idea. They had hoped that he was the one. There were many revolutionary movements trying to release the Jews from the Romans and from others who were conquering them. Listen, they, they wanted Jesus to be the one, but they couldn't see it yet. Can I challenge you? That faith is believing that Jesus is working for you and with you and all around you, even though you don't see it. You see death and destruction while God is working on life and resurrection. That's what's happening. That's what faith is all about. Might Jesus be in the middle of your life and circumstances? You just haven't recognized him yet. 
He would act like he's going on a little farther because he's messing with them. This is the personality of Jesus. And he wants them to make the decision to welcome him. He wants them to make the decision to invite him. Oh, no, don't go. Don't go. Come and sit down with us. Come and sit with us. So here we are. He asks them to come and have dinner with them. So, verse 29, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. (laughs) What the heck? Jesus is seriously messing with his friends. You know, he didn't have to do it that way. He walks along, keeps himself hidden, and then suddenly he's at the table. And they're like, wait a minute, I'm having deja vu all over again. I've seen this before. The bread, the wine, wait a... This is Jesus! (laughs) It's amazing how God does this. Here's, Here's something to think about. We often don't recognize Jesus until we stop to have communion with him. Here's the thing. People are wrestling with their job. They're wrestling with their marriage. They're struggling uh, with their finances. They're struggling with history and their past and, and, and what it's doing to them. And they just, keep, they just keep pushing forward, going to work earlier, staying at work later, fighting more in their marriage, doing the things that they shouldn't do. Really what you should do is... Stop to have communion with Jesus. Because it is there that you begin to remember his words. It is there that you begin to recognize what he's trying to do. It is there that you see him working behind the scenes. When we go on with our busy, pressurized lives, consumed with ourselves, we're, we're trying to do all the things that we're trying to accomplish We never stop to communicate with God. or We never stop to let him in. We don't realize he's right there. Often until we do. Now, let me me say this. I think many of us try to add resurrection life to an already full and busy life. And that's a problem. The problem with resurrection is there must be a death. There must be a death to the way you think the way you act. There must be a giving up. There must be an emptying of yourself. There must be a willingness to let go of the way you think and to adopt the way that Jesus thinks. There must be a a willingness to give up your story and the whole story revolving around you and giving into Jesus' story and realizing that the whole story revolves around him. We got to embrace this emptying of ourselves. The empty tomb only comes when there's an emptying of ourselves. I like this verse, John 11:25. I'll just put it up on the screen. It says, "You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now, resurrection and life." The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? It's not until you believe this that you can be willing to give up your own way. 
I want you to consider another passage from the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul. Here's what he said about resurrection life. He said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That's where we want to stop reading. Let's not read anymore. That's awesome for me. Yes, let me experience resurrection life. That's all I need right here, right now. The problem is you have to, you have to be willing to give up everything. You don't, it's not like, it's not like serving Jesus is a buffet and you get to go down the buffet and take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that and take a little, and then add a little resurrection life on the end. It's like dessert. No, it's not what it's like. It's, it's like Jesus cleared everything off and gave you his resurrection life. And it is better than any buffet. It is better than any meal. It is better than any other thing that you could produce for your own life. It is overwhelming to you if you're willing to give up. It is, it is um, courage for your soul. It is mercy for all your failures. It is life to the dead places in your life. We struggle to do this, but here's, this is what was happening to these disciples. They were trying to figure out how this works. So here they are, final story. So we've got the, the women, and then we've got the story of the road, and then we have the story of the reveal. Here it is. He's revealing himself. So, whoops, we, uh, yeah. So they disappeared from his sight. Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning with us while he, within us while he, was, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is kind of like saying, we kind of knew. Didn't you kind of know? I kind of knew. I kind of felt it, like right here. No, no, they, they didn't. But they, but they thought something was happening. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Wait, how far is it to Jerusalem? So they, in one day, 14 miles. <laughs> Some of you, never mind. These guys were in shape. They had walked seven miles. Then they got up immediately as soon as Jesus disappeared. They had, to, they had to go tell somebody what had just happened to them. Listen, resurrection life energizes you to do things that are not normal. Resurrection life energizes you to do things that you've never done before. That's what happens to these guys. Peter is a, I mean, he is a self-absorbed loser, always putting his foot in his mouth, making bold claims and shrinking back at just the wrong moment. And yet, he, after the resurrection, resurrection life comes upon him. The Holy Spirit begins to work in him, and he leads 3,000 people to believe in Christ on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He began to do something he'd never done before. So they got up and returned at once. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true! The Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about this, so the, the words are hanging in the air like one of those little bubbles in a cartoon comic strip. Their words are actually hanging in the air as they're telling the story. And Jesus himself stood among them. Peace be with you. Why does he say peace be with you? Because he keeps scaring them to death. Verse 37 <laughs> says they were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. Hello. 
You're just talking about the resurrection. Now you think he's a ghost. You have to remember their world was upside down. They were accepting a new reality. This is what we do when we come to Christ. They were having to accept a new reality, and that's what resurrection life does. It reorients our lives around a miracle reality. That's what it does to you and to me, and that's what it was doing to the disciples. He said to them, why are you troubled, and why do you doubt? Why does doubt rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed, him, showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it, They were struggling with it because of joy and amazement. They were just, their neurons in their brain were just like firing. And they couldn't quite grasp it. And Jesus said, you got anything to eat around here? He knew, see, this is what I love about Jesus. He knows exactly what we need to see. He knows what will help us. He knew that it would help them. You got any, anything to eat around here? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. I love this. Can you see it? The scene? They're all standing around. They're all kind of around in a circle. They're, like, really close to him. They're, like, looking at him, and Jesus is just there. You guys want some? They were like, There's something that's happening here. There's something that God is doing in their hearts and in their lives as they embrace resurrection life. Verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures And he began to tell them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. That was the Holy Spirit. Think of what was happening to them. It's the same thing that happens to you and to me when a new reality is opened up in front of us. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Let's, let's just take a moment for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I want you to just keep your eyes closed and consider where you are in your relationship with God today. Some of you are having a really hard time reorienting your life around the truth that God is actually with you. Some of you find yourself here this morning, maybe it's your first time in church for a long time, and you have have many hurts and many wounds from your past, maybe even wounds from close people or people who said that that they loved God or they stood for God. Can I encourage you today that resurrection life is available to you? 
Can I encourage you all across the auditorium that doing it your own way and trying to keep the way of thinking that you've lived on for many, many years and then trying to add Jesus to that does not work. Can I encourage you today to receive resurrection life, to do the one thing that only you can do? God can't do this for you. You have to do it. You have to be willing to let everything go. You have to be willing to surrender your way to him. You have to be willing to put him in charge. Don't just add him. Put him in charge. So I want to ask you across the auditorium, you're you're thirsting, you're so hungry for resurrection life, but it's not living in you. And you realize it's because you've been living your own life, not the life God wants you to live. Today's your day to come back to him. So whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, I want you to make a commitment to Christ today. There's no better day than Easter Sunday to give everything up, to say, Jesus, I, I'm running out of options. I, don't, I know that my life is going to be a dead end unless you come and be in charge. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. But I do want you to make a commitment. I want you just to say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want and I need resurrection life. I'm giving up today, and I'm committing my life to Christ. Is that, if that's you, just put your hand up in the air all over the auditorium. All right, yeah, just wherever you are. Yeah, I see you over here, way in the back, down here in the front. Anybody else? I just, yeah, I see you. There's more. Don't, don't ever wrestle with this kind of decision. If you're wrestling, oh, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't, no. No, just just shoot that hand up in the air and say, Jesus, I need you. Yeah. That's so good. Yep, I see you. God sees you more importantly. I see that. God sees what's going on in your heart. Let him take over. Come on, everybody across the room, let's pray this prayer. This prayer. The the words really aren't the most important thing. It's it's what's in your heart. But I want you to say these words with me and let's pray. I want you to give everything up and be willing to surrender. Come on, all across the room, everybody say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who died for my sins, all my failures, every foolish decision. Thank you. I need you today. Fill me with life. Forgive me for my sin. I let go of my past. I let go of my future. I empty myself today so that there can be an empty tomb in my heart. Now come and fill that tomb with life. Jesus, fill me with your life. thank you for healing and I choose you now Father I pray that you would cover over every heart you would seal the work that you're doing even now in their heart that you would whisper 
your words of comfort and love and life to them, that you would fill them with resurrection power today, a power to live the life you want for them. I thank you for this. Thank you for what you're doing here and now. We trust you. We believe in you. We choose to follow you. In Jesus' name.